You're from Alabama all of a sudden? Why did you say it like that? What do you mean? You said I had some of them Jets mix. Welcome everyone to the Four Corners Crimecast. My name is Jake. My name is Katie. And I'm your host this week, Rory. Is it time for a creepy Rory? It's not creepy. I wanted to go fun this week. You know, there's a lot of not fun in the world right now, so we need a little a little fun, right, Katie? Um, I would say this is creepy. You say this is creepy. Okay, creepy. some of it's really <laughs> creepy, but not in the creepy kind of way. I'm still calling thinking. it a creepy Rory. It's definitely a creepy Rory. But uh, this week, guys, we are doing a little about alien abduction, UFOs, and then we're going to talk a little bit of high strangeness that we've experienced in our lives at the end of the episode. I don't know if Katie has had any. I know Jake has had some. What is high strangeness? Basically, it's like the seeing a UFO, uh, observing something of the paranormal, cryptids, uh, anything basically that's unexplained that can be like conducive to things like magic or cryptids or aliens or something along those lines. Some sort of strange thing that doesn't have an explainable answer, I would say. Do you think that's apt, Katie? I saw a guy pull a rabbit out of a hat one time. See, that's a uh, pretty pretty strange. I, 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 would, I would say it. that's low strangeness, but because there's a pretty easy explanation. But if you can use the word synchronicity, it's going to be something involving high strangeness. Yes, that's people's like go-to word for this Could kind I of stuff. Oh yeah, no, like synchro- I, I've okay. Synchro- so here, synchronicity, synchronicity. Uh, do you ever have the feeling of deja vu? Oh, I love it. Okay, so. There are a couple theories as to what deja vu is. One of them is that it's your mind's ability to perceive what's happening is a little bit slower than what you're actually able to see. So you take it in, your brain doesn't quite understand it yet, so it replays the image and there it is. Um, Some people think it's actually uh, actually like a clairvoyance type thing. Like that noise I just made? Yeah, something like that. Uh, That's creepy. But what do you think, Katie? About synchronicities? Yeah. I um, mean, but that's like things like the, the song you were singing, uh, playing on the radio, doing different things like that, right? Like, Yeah, it's basically just like things that happen to occur at correlate? the same time. Yeah. yeah. And like you can point out and go, oh, synchronicities. So let's just say like you're talking about Ford trucks, then Ford trucks come on the radio. You're stuck behind a Ford truck and you're passing underneath a Ford truck sign. Be more likely to be a Mercury. But is that Alan Jackson song about Mercury's? But what I'm saying is that it's just, it's just weird things that line up, I would say. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Oh. But deja vu. It's a high strangeness. So I know you've experienced some. Yeah, but I can't ever like remember it. I remember clearly like a 30 second deja vu I had once, but I could have been like stroking out or something. Oh, man. You would have known if you were stroking out, <laughs> fortunately. these things? Huh? How do you remember these things? They're just I don't know. Like, it just happens. They happen, and I was like, oh, that was fucking weird. Okay. On with my life, and I forget about them. So where'd you do your research this week, Roar? Oh, man. there. So I got some sources here. The Abduction Enigma by Kevin D. Randall, Russ Estes, and Dr. William P. Cohn. Abducted by Aliens by Chuck Weiss. That one's kind of fun. Is he a mobster? No. I find it funny that this guy's name is Cohn. Yeah. And he writes about aliens. Why is that funny? Conehead. Coneheads. Oh, okay. <laughs> Synchronicities. There we go. But the Myth and Mysteries of UFOs by Thomas E. Bullard. Various online articles and websites such as Sufos, which is C-U-F-O-S dot org. 
MUFON.com, and of course, hundreds of Angel Fire accounts from the time when Angel Fire websites were a source of good information for the young developing brain of one Rory Allard. A few tidbits about our own experiences. What is Angel Fire, Rory, for those who don't know? When internet was like first becoming a big thing, people would pay to have, or they would use a free hosting site to have an angelfire.com account. So it'd be like angelfire.com UFOs or something like that. And it was the black background with green letters is like this era of stuff. So like it's like the original conspiracy web pages of people that just were nerdy enough and had a lot of time to go make a web page and Angel Fire was an easy platform to use and i i made one once but yeah angel fire i don't know if anybody remembers that but i do a lot why does sufos why is it a dot org and mufon is only a dot com because mufon sells stuff mufon they okay. sell stuff they're a for, for-profit website or something i don't know i don't know what you have to get to be a dot org basis based against a dot com i figured they were an organ organization but probably honestly what it was is uh sufos.com was probably just taken yep that sounds they were like shit. reasonable but we uh, are now an organization we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna start out with ufos that's uh unidentified flying objects and they've actually been acknowledged in recent times by the department of defense and the navy they just slipped it in under everyone yeah they just sort of dropped it under the radar where they confirmed that in those videos are unidentified aerial phenomenon did they basically just admit they don't know what they were yeah, that's basically it. And they also set up a hotline for people to, well, they set up like a chain of command for things like that if someone has spotted it and where it goes to be transparent with Can you imagine people. being in charge of that and you're like, oh, no, 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 this is going to be the worst. I would love that job. That'd be no, a great job. You'd yeah. have to fish through so many people making shit up because they want their 15 seconds of fame. And then with special effects these days, how would you know, oh my god, verifying all the shit? Well, that's what you, you would oversee departments that are specialized in that. But the thing is, because you don't ever have to like say what they are. You literally just be like, yep, I don't know what that is, unidentified. But imagine if you got a picture of an actual alien. and Like a conehead. Like if it came in through some air monitoring system and you got to see a UFO, find where it crash landed, and go and intercept that, that'd be tons of fun. I mean, that'd be a great job. I'd be good at that. It would be a long, long wait, though, I think. Yeah, probably. It's been about a century since uh, people have, like, really dug in deep about seeing unidentified aerial phenomena. And uh, we're going to go ahead and head over to one of the first of the most well-known aerial phenomenons in America. Um, This is basically one of the first written about sightings of a UFO. April 17th, eighteen. 97 in Aurora, Texas. About 6 o'clock this morning, the early risers of Aurora were astonished at the sudden appearance of an airship. Essie Hayden writes on April 19, 1897 in the Dallas Morning newspaper, further going on to explain a slow-moving craft traveling directly over the town to eventually crash into a windmill. Upon examination, the pilot seemed to be the only casualty and appeared as if it was not of this world. So it crashed. It crashed into a windmill. Like, is it possible that it was just like the first flying anything? Because it's just, it wasn't that high. Like windmills aren't that high. No. Well, it came. Okay. So his description of it is that it was going like twelve miles an hour and kind of shakily down towards the ground over the top of the city. So it's just kind of fucking. That was pretty fast back then, too, right? I mean, it's like comparatively, Paul fast. yeah. 
And it comes down across the entire town. So, like, this whole town sees it, and it crashes and destroys this judge's windmill on his property. They go and they, they pull out the pilot and find out that he's an alien. What'd they do with him? See, because I say that later. But they, oh, gave him a, they, no, they, they gave him a Christian burial. They, oh. uh, okay, they have a headstone in Aurora, Texas, marking his uh, last resting place, certified through the state. Uh, they buried him with some of his ship parts and like the helm or like his favorite part no they're just pieces that they found but this is one of the earliest printed documentations of a ufo in america most of the debris from the crash landing they said that they dropped it down a well why would you do that uh, just to get, clean it up. They think it was just like a tweaker camp, and they're like, ah, oh, look at all this tin foil." Yeah, just, just toss just it in toss there. Toss it down the well. Um, I, I'm not sure exactly what the motivation was to do that, but it was eventually cemented over after the new uh, owner of the property attempted to clean out the well. And uh, after drinking the water that was contaminated with this alien spacecraft, he began to develop arthritis. And in 1945, he cemented over the top and wrote the date on it. And I guess no real proof of this actually happening exists except for eyewitness testimony. MUFON inspectors did go back to uh, Aurora in like the 60s and interviewed the last surviving person, the last two surviving people that were able to witness this in the town. And one of them said, yeah, it looked like it had, you know, been hit by something and was coming out of the sky all slow and loping and kind of falling down. It was kind of a disc shape and it just rocked back and forth. But so I guess there's no real proof at all. No proof of the arthritis? No, no proof of any of it. I mean, it it could just be a a fantasy created by this writer to get published. But I feel like that he was just downstream of something bad. He got some arthritis, and he was like, "Oh, I'm guessing he was just aliens old. in the well." Yeah, fucking throw that cement in there. I'm not. I'm not messing with him. Do we think that this being in 1897, that they've kind of technologically progressed in the same like basic way we have? Like they were obviously ahead of us, but in 1897, their spacecrafts weren't as advanced as they are now. Is that why it's? I mean, it's entirely possible. Small and shitty and crashed into a windmill. <laughs> I mean, it's it's possible, but it, it could just be that any number of things happened, an impact in air or... What would it, he have impacted? An asteroid. Okay. I mean, he's, he's... Was there a motor type part to this ship that they could tell, or was it just pieces? It was just pieces, apparently. Maybe he was only going 12 miles an hour because he was still floating from whatever he broke off of. That could be true, too. I guess it could be some evacuation or something. It doesn't even mean that there was an actual, you know, alien on board. It could have just been an actual, like, time traveler from the future, for all we know. If it, if it was a time traveler, he may not be born yet. We don't know what time he came from. So technically, he has died in the past, but his present future self still exists or hasn't been born yet. Mm-hmm. Either way, <laughs> I think I think we should dig him back up, see if he's still there. I mean, we could, but I guess it's kind of a monument in Aurora. There's probably nothing buried there. Oh. That's the thing. That's what I'm saying. We got to get the proof. We got to know what's going on. Consecrated ground, man. Leave it alone. Yeah, Dude. we've got enough shit going on. We don't need to be doing anything like yeah. that right now. Yeah, adding, you know, demon ghosts. Do you think ghosts. the aliens give a shit about our Christian burial? Maybe. Of course. I mean, they might. They may be what they it may have been Jesus. Jesus could be an alien. Did you ever think about that? They don't mention that in your Bible, do they? <laughs> Dropping knowledge. But all right, we're going to go to the next one. That's on June 24th, 1947. And it's uh, just uh, it's just off the mountain in Mount Rainier, Washington. 
What's going on is Kenneth Arnold is flying his Calair A2, a little metal plane that looks sketchy as fuck. So I, I looked it up too, so I could see what you were talking about. And in 47, they look sketchy. In 49, they looked sweet. They were just a couple years off on this one. Should have been a 49. Right. Well, he was he was on a business trip from Western Washington to Eastern Washington. And Kenneth Arnold at this time learns of a reward for a missing military aircraft off of Mount Rainier. And, you know, he's not far away. So Arnold cruises over the area for a, a little under, you know, 20, 30 minutes. He doesn't find the downed aircraft and starts heading towards his original destination. It's about 3 p.m., like 2.59. The skies are clear so with good visibility. And Arnold's cruising around 9,000 feet in the air when he sees a bright flash. Unsure of what the reflection is, he looks around to see absolutely nothing. That was Jesus. Possibly. But a moment later... More bright flashes as something reflected back into Arnold's plane. He checked to make sure it wasn't hit a reflection from his plane off of something on the ground and began to take notice of nine shapes, stating one appeared to be a crescent shape, the rest being convex shape and moving fast like, like a saucer skipping across the water. And his story is actually corroborated by multiple eyewitnesses from the ground, uh, some being 25 miles away, some being right underneath it, and must have been just mere seconds before Arnold saw it because all right so Arnold's flying over the kind of near the mountain he's coming back off and heading towards his destination and a guy on the ground sees uh four of these things flying in formation heading that direction and he says holy shit I just saw four things flying in formation and at that same time 20 miles in the air away there is Arnold flying his little plane and he looks over because the sun hits the reflection off of that and goes straight into his window and sees all nine of them the Dang. one leading kind of being a crescent kind of like the way like darth vader was the one the main guy and then he had all his dudes around him basically this is the actual moment because this man's incredible he's a good guy a businessman and this is the moment that kind of it grabs in america and ufo fever really takes hold so th this guy was someone people could like wrap their brain around and be like oh he's not crazy and he's saying this yeah they're like they believe him like they believe him actually this is almost at the exact same time as roswell they're not like a month apart they're the next one we're going to talk about is actually roswell new mexico and this story has been explained over and over and so we're going to just give you a little breakdown and then i'm going to tell you you know what i remember of roswell as a kid and it's it's you've been to roswell eh no but what i remember of the story because i was really interested after men in black came out i really wanted to know a lot about aliens roswell new mexico 1947 30 miles outside of roswell a man william brazel finds a field of debris which he says looks like sticks tinfoil and a little bit of rubber he ignores it for a little bit but a week or so later he and his family come back to collect pieces of the debris that sounds like a tweaker camp Yes, it does. The next day, he hears about some flying discs and thinks he may have pieces of one of them stashed at his place. Well, he <laughs> confesses to the sheriff, and the sheriff actually calls the Roswell Army Airfield and talks to a major there who he tells and says, Hey man, we found this thing over here. Maybe you guys should come take a look at it. It kind of looks like a balloon with something attached to it. They said, oh yeah, that's that's what it is. It's just a balloon. Basically, because then the uh, Air Force shows up. They pick up what's remaining of the debris. Now, it's people think that 
Frazzle actually uh, stashed some of it the first day he went out there so that he has some of it lying around. So people really want to go, like, they're into going to Roswell to try and see it or get it from him or get him to tell him where it is and look for it. I don't think so. He's definitely dead, though, I would say. Because he's like 30 years old in 1947. So he had a farm in 19. No, he worked for a ranch as like a contractor or something. And it was just like 30 miles north of Roswell. And Ah. he was just out there and happened to come across the debris. But so he tells the sheriff and the sheriff brings in the army and the army contacts the FBI. So they all take a look at this, want to take a look at it. So they demand that it moves to Fort Worth, Texas. Like they took all the stuff to Fort yeah, they, Worth, Texas? Yeah, they, they took the remainder of the stuff to Fort Worth, Texas. Now, FBI, you know why? why is that? Everything's bigger in Texas. It's easier to look at. <laughs> Makes sense. It was probably the Air Force Base there. It was the Air Force Base there. So they actually do make a release that it's part of a nuclear... T- well, they actually just say that it's a weather balloon. They say, oh, it's a downed weather balloon. But what it really was is... Uh, oh man, what's the name of that project? Project Mortar or something like that. But it, it it was developed to check seismic nuclear activity in Russia from the air. And ah, so it, spying? Yeah, it's like a spy thing. Let me see. If, well, the Roswell incident can actually be explained away by something called Project Mogul or Operation Mogul. And it was a uh, top secret project by the United States Army Air Forces involving microphones flown on high-altitude balloons, which was long-distance detection of sound waves generated by Soviet atomic bomb tests. Russia spying. Russia spying. And this also actually kind of explains the nine UFOs that were seen over Mount Rainier, because what's the closest place in America that you can launch balloons besides Alaska to Russia? Washington. Balloons. Yeah, these are giant balloons. I guess this is back before technology equipment. was around. Yeah, I mean... Would they stay in formation, though? If everyone reported seeing them in a specific formation, how would you get balloons to do that? I guess you them. are right. What if you tie them together? You could tether them together. But they still wouldn't. And the guys did say they were moving... they were just tied together, they would... He did say they were moving like 1,200 miles an hour. He... Well, I thought he said guessed. 12 miles an hour. No, that, that was, was the first, the first one. one. But well, yeah, even if they were tied together, they would not stay in a specific formation. They would all kind of just like bunch like, together yeah, and still go to the same place. Unless they were all had the same motor. There were no motors on It was things. a balloon. Same it was a balloon. propulsion. No, but wind. Balloon. It's a balloon. So it's they're going with the wind. They're going with the wind then. The wind's not blowing 1,200 miles an hour. The guy did estimates from mm-hmm. his recorded movements and stuff. It's a strong wind. Mm-hmm. But the last one that I wanted to talk about was uh, not too long ago. It was actually February 19th, 2018. Two pilots in Arizona report seeing a stationary bright light in the middle of the day over Arizona from two separate planes independently of each other. Where in Arizona? Uh, up near Phoenix, I guess. Okay, probably near like the base in Eloy or something? Yeah, what they did say, it was uh, light reflected off of a weather balloon. Oh, or an at, no, an atmospheric research balloon or something along those lines. They put a lot of balloons up that they don't tell us about. Yeah, there's a lot of mistaking UFOs as weather balloons. There's a lot of... I actually knew someone that worked for a place that let off weather balloons, and he said there's they would get app. phone calls all the time from the base, and they would be like, hey, everyone's calling us. Did you release a weather balloon today? And they'd be like, yeah. <laughs> just a balloon. Literally just a balloon. There was an answering machine that answered, and they're like, have you released a balloon? They should have a hotline. Where it's just like, 
balloon releases on these days. Yeah, because I guess tons of people day. would call them in. Yeah, that makes sense. You just say there's a balloon release every day and cover your ass. Yeah, but why would you need to lie? Because there's not balloon releases, buddy. It's the aliens. And also, is it uh, unique to see this in the middle of the day? I would say no. They release balloons all the time. No. <sighs> okay, so what do you think about the UFO then? It's a, it's a UFO, man. Not everything can be balloons. And it was in the middle of the day. Yeah, I don't think there's really like a time limit for when you can see an unidentified flying object. I feel like, too, being that we have Sky Harbor, we have TIA, we have a base here, we have the training center in Eloy, we have aircraft constantly up there, so... Lots of balloons. I did see a spacecraft one night here in Arizona, though. Isn't that for later? That's for later. Just giving them a little teaser, just a little taste of what they get to hear later on. But Spoiler we're gonna... alert, it was the Sanyo blimp. We're going to move on to uh, alien abduction. Uh, we're First thing we're actually going to talk about is what most abdu- abductions have in common. The uh, series of events in most cases of abduction follow a similar pattern. Thomas E. Bullard put together this sequence during his research, and during his research, he actually interviewed something like 300 people that had said that they had seen an alien or had contact of some kind. He kind of lends into the close encounters style of uh, UFO contacts. Like the repressed memory. Uh, that's Hello. later on. That's that's like the fourth kind, fifth kind, sixth kind. Uh, the first were just... Uh, there's a the sixth one now? Oh yeah, there's a ton of them. I, I can't keep up. But... I thought we were still at four. No, there's many oh. after that. Okay, so there's close encounters of the first kind. That's visual sightings of an unidentified flying object seeming less than 500 feet away, appreciable angular extension, and considerable detail. So you have to have a good look at the actual UFO. So you can't just say you saw a light. I saw a light. I guess. A UFO. No, those are lights in the sky. They're not really technically a close encounter. Because these are the close encounter definitions. So a close encounter of the second kind would be a UFO event in which a physical effect is alleged. This can be interference in the functioning of a vehicle or electronic device. Animals reacting. A physiological effect such as paralysis or heat and discomfort in the witness. Or some physical trace like impressions in the ground, scorched or otherwise affected vegetation or a chemical trace. Now, close encounters of the third kind. Now, that's contact. UFO encounters in which the animated entity is present. These include humanoids, robots, and humans who seem to be occupants or pilots of a UFO. Okay, now the fourth kind is abduction. It's when a human is actually abducted by a UFO or its occupants. A fifth kind is a UFO event that involves direct communication between aliens and humans. And the sixth kind is the death of a human or animal associated with UFO sighting. Think cattle getting mutilated. And the seventh kind, the creation of a human-alien hybrid, either by sexual reproduction or by artificial scientific methods. Wait, 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 wait. You're saying number seven is when you have an alien baby. Yes. Now... The actual parameters that we're going to be talking about, since that was off on a very long tangent, are actually the sequence of events according to Thomas E. Bullard and his writings. So the first one is capture. The abducted is moved against their will to a non-terrestrial location, either in space or on a spacecraft slightly above the Earth. Is it always against their will, or do the aliens just think it's against their will? Um, Abduction is against your will. Like, I, But there's probably some people on Earth who are like, 
yeah, I want to get abducted by an alien, and then they'd be down for it. Yeah, but how is an alien to know that person? Right, that's what I'm saying. As far as they know, it's against their will. That's what I'm getting at. Okay. Anytime you leave the planet uh, without acknowledging your want to leave the planet, it's against your will, I'm going to say. But uh, examination and procedures, that's testing, invasive procedures, psychological probings, and uh, sexual encounters. Conference, abductors communicate with the abductee. A tour, like, hey, check out our shit. Come look at our spaceship. Uh, loss of time. Abductees actually forget the majority of their experiences. And it sort of is just this lapse of time for them in their head. Return. Abductees are brought back, sometimes to the same location, sometimes miles away, shoeless and disheveled. Theophany. Theophany. That's the euphoric feeling upon the return of the abductee. I actually had to look up what that word meant. And it's uh, the euphoria you feel in the face of God is what it kind of translates as. So kind of fun. And then the aftermath, that's the uh, abductee is left to deal with all the psychological trauma and physical trauma of the event itself. Through stuff that they can't really remember. Yeah, so that's why hypnosis is really big in the alien abduction community. Like, they really get after that to try and regress people into remembering times they were abducted. I got abducted one time. Yeah, but that man had a van. No, no, no. No, no, no. I'm serious. The last thing that they said was, this won't put you to sleep. And then I woke up without wisdom teeth. Yeah, that's not... Is that if the you're same a, thing? There has to be... They took something from me, Rory. You literally didn't meet any of the criteria If we're being here. serious, there has to, if you're being abducted, you, you have, there has to be an aspiratation, which is when you are taken from one location to another location. I woke up to at my fit, house. To fit the definition of abduction. Interesting. Have to have aspiration. So there you go. But we're going to go ahead and talk about the abduction stories from the book, The Abduction Paradigm. Uh, the first one, this is Sherry's story in the book, and I'm just going to kind of paraphrase it for you guys so we can talk about it a little bit. But uh, Sherry was a bright, attractive, single mother, had a good job, and just wanted to do right by her daughter and move to a nice neighborhood with a low crime rate and good schools. She found a beautiful house outside the city where she had where she could breathe fresh air and watch the stars at night. Which city? Uh, it doesn't actually say which city because this person didn't choose to identify themselves. In the book, it's Sherry's a fake name. It's. Oh, um, I think it's safe to say that since she was looking for good schools, it's in California, it wasn't in Arizona. No, it's in California, <laughs> and she was like a real estate broker, and so she made a decent living, and she found a nice place that she liked to live, but. She uh, actually began to began to watch the stars a little much because she noticed some, you know, beautiful big stars that she had never seen being from the city. And she started seeing these little floating orbs of dancing light around her and her neighbor's houses. The more she watched, the closer they would get. So she starts calling out of work. She starts just wanting to stay home to watch these. And it's just her and her daughter and her cat and her dog. <laughs> in this house she so, doesn't sound crazy no but this this happens sometimes you know people are, are really anxious they're in a high stress situation they she just moved it's just her and her daughter she has this house she has to drive into the city to her job shit like that her so. co-workers are like where's sherry she's home chasing fireflies again basically <laughs> like she won't she, be in but she would literally sit in her bed and watch out the window for these things all day but Sherry starts hearing strange noises in the night, 
noises her animals would react to and things that didn't really make sense for what was going on in the house. Even worse, though, is her daughter noticed and would refuse to sleep anywhere in the house but in Sherry's bed. Does it say how old her daughter was? I think she's 10 at this point. So still young enough to just freak out and not really tell you why. Yeah, not really understand what's going on. But she got so concerned with the noises that she would leave her intercom on all night and record the noises with a tape recorder and try to recognize them when she'd wake up in the morning. That's a good way to make it hard to sleep the next night. Well, she she would sleep through it and stuff, so she... Just freaking yourself out. Did anyone else ever listen to them? Yeah, actually, she showed friends and things like that. And she they was heard being, the same thing? Yeah, but they counted it off as, like, house noises and things like that. And, you know, she new surroundings. Cat, so yeah. it was probably the <laughs> well, cat. that's the thing, is that everything slept in her bedroom. I think huh. it's just safe to say that Sherry is a crazy cat lady. She no, has one cat? She has one cat and a dog, but... They would not sleep anywhere else either. Like, it wasn't just her daughter. Her daughter would share her bed, but so would the cat and the dog because they didn't want to be anywhere in the house at night. So she started noticing the lights in the house, like they're floating around inside of her house. And shortly after that, she starts seeing little faces in the window. And one night she went out and saw that there were footprints and things outside of the window after she had just seen a face. So her her suspicions were confirmed at that point that something was watching her she was there by herself no she was there with her daughter no i mean but like they didn't have anyone else there no they didn't think that it would be it wasn't the right signs for a human or something like that but she knew when she saw that her the faces she saw in the window were real aliens is it common for them to basically stalk someone like this before they it it, it really contact? depends. I, I can't really speak on an alien's behalf. I, I don't think it's common in most abduction cases, but for the most part, it, they're all slightly vary a little bit. I feel like normally it's like, holy shit, I got abducted. Not They've been watching me for weeks because I found out about them and now... Yeah. It's 100, 100% based on the boredom level of the alien at that time. If they're bored, they're going to spend weeks maybe just camped out right Right at the edge of the atmosphere. I assume it would be different with the different types of aliens, too. Yeah. So these are probably little. These are probably little grays from what her description is. She just basically, you know, writes it off that maybe she is going crazy. But one night, while she's laying in her bed with her daughter and cat, Sherry began to feel a warm tingle between her thighs. The tingle turned to waves of pleasure, and she felt a hard, penetrating motion between her legs. This is, this book is so creepy, but she drew it into herself, and she climaxed so hard that she remembers nothing else. She she did wake up the next morning remembering the encounter vividly, and she kind of feels this burning sensation on her thighs and lady parts. When she examined them, she noticed a bunch of red welt-like scratches on her inner thighs. So she... she... <laughs> She sucked. She... Nope. Sherry tells a few friends about her encounter, and everyone seems to agree that it was a pretty sweet-ass dream. But that's it. It was a dream. They thought it was cool, too? I mean, yeah. What's wrong with these people? I mean, they you can write it off easily. Like, if you don't believe in aliens, you can write this off as a dream. So they, someone comes up to you and tells you, man, I... I came in my sleep last night you'd be like oh because of a dream right not because you fucked an alien yeah well you you don't get pussy scratches from a wet dream yeah that's true but my just show them that the thing no (laughs) 
She could have done that to herself. That's what that, I, I would imagine that she just grabbed her legs while she was asleep. Like I, that's how I would write that off. It's not a hard thing to think. So she and <laughs> she enjoyed this I think whole situation. It seems no, she was penetrated by an alien just because someone but hasn't she liked. It. Just because someone has an orgasm doesn't mean it's not rape. Uh, one friend did suggest alien contact, and Sherry kind of grabbed onto that and focused mainly on understanding what had happened to her. And she goes to this support group through a hypnotherapist who she was recommended to by one of her friends. And that hypnotherapist sent her to a group for support group for people that had been abducted or had contact. Was this the first time that she had thought it was aliens when someone mentioned it to her basically because this person had related her story to another person's story and they kind of just put two and two together that way so she basically this whole time she had no idea like what the fuck was going on no No. explanation no explanation that makes it scarier that makes it way scarier but anyway so she starts going to the support group and um and it's at the support group where one of the authors of the book that i read meets and interviews Sherry. When he when she was asked by the interviewer how she knew it wasn't just a dream, she replied, I know the smell of sex. Sherry was about to start receiving regressive hypnotherapy from the leader of her abduction group as a treatment to find out what was going on with her abductions and sightings. Actually, and what's here's the crazy part. A few years later, uh, the author and Sherry are both invited to speak at Disney World, who at the time was opening a new attraction called Tomorrowland Alien Encounters. And strangely enough, the author saw her on TV and she told a completely different story telling about how her daughter's abduction happened right in front of her, where she saw her daughter lay right on the table, saw them basically open her up and do tests on her and things like that, where as her own story had been hypersexual, and I don't think Disney appropriate, I think she kind of made this one up because... It's something that she had never mentioned to the author, and during a phone call shortly after the interview, uh, the author asked Sherry why she had never told him about this part of it, and she replied it had just surfaced after her hypnotherapy session, so instantly the doctor is kind of like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But So she was uh, sensationalizing her story for the Disney appearance? I think she wanted to believe so much that during her regressive hypnotherapy session she just started using her imagination which i think actually happens right katie Mm -hmm, yeah it's not a method of therapy that anyone uses because you basically make people believe things that didn't happen to them disney world's about to open up another new attraction the nba yeah i did see that sherry actually falls into this pretty nasty depressive state and stops going to the support group she gets so bad she actually goes to her doctor and the doctor recognizes symptoms of clinical depression and prescribes her with Prozac. Your dog used to take Prozac. I know. The next conversation she has with the author of the book, he asks why she stopped attending the meetings, and she states that she realized she didn't need it anymore, and that the sightings and noises had stopped as soon as she was put on Prozac. Was she lying, or was she really balanced out? I'm assuming she was balanced out. I I think she probably realized on some level what she was doing at Disney World. She did it to get a free Disney World vacation and basically lied to 
Wouldn't people. You though? Which, well, here's the problem with that, and I understand why she has this problem because she was in a support group with people that wholeheartedly believed that this had happened to them, and she just went on national television and told a lie. And it every time someone tells a lie about something like that, it makes these people farther away from credibility. Credibility, yeah. So I think that probably weighed on her a little bit, and that may have been what kind of kick-started her depressive state, because if all of a sudden you're fine after you tar- start taking drugs, you, one, either have something imbalanced in your brain, and that's what happened, or two, it blocks out what really happened to you. Or three, you need to just get on Space Mountain and forget about all your problems. Yeah, I think that's what she was thinking, but still, I can understand that being depressed after telling a lie to everyone and putting back this movement of believability with a something you said you had symptoms for. I don't know. I get it, but that's just my speculation, but it would make sense to me to be that. Katie, what do you think? It makes sense that she got better when she stopped being hypnotized. Yeah, that, that makes also makes sense. Yeah, I don't know if uh, steadily hypnotizing yourself is a good prescription for anything. No. I think some of it was probably somatic, too, if it was if it stopped immediately when she was put on Prozac because it takes like three to four weeks to start actually That's what working. I was actually well, this ask, is like yeah. six months after she was put on Prozac. Okay, that she so says, it wasn't oh, it was like, like immediately. Yeah, she's like, oh, so like six months ago, I stopped doing this because the, the everything went away and just so happened to coincide with about the time she was put on Prozac. But. She might well, have also you... seen a legitimate therapist. That's true. When you've been being abducted for six hundred seventy-three thousand alien years. Six months is basically immediately. Mm -hmm. So right now we're going to move on to Joel's story. This is the second story of abduction in this book. But Joel's a normal man in his mid-30s and has seen every form of alien abduction imaginable. Joel came from a happy southern family. His mother and father raised him with tons of love and guidance. Something not common with most abductee cases, as Mr. Bullard will tell you. He can remember his first encounter with the reptilian-like creatures who were kind, played games with him, and brought him to a beautiful cave structure. They often played advanced technology games or did certain puzzles together. They belayed his fears by telling him he would understand later why this was all happening. Joel has memories of these abductions that aren't all bad, but does have a photo of him when he was a child with a scoop taken out of his leg that he recalls from his first medical experiments abduction. Sounds like he fell off the playground at the Discovery Zone. Probably something like that. Like, is this all real, or is he just over overplaying regular childhood events? We don't know, but who knows what's up with a child's imagination. Reptilian-like creatures? Like, what if... He remembers lying on a table in the fetal position, surrounded by beings. He had a probe in his butt and was naked. He recalls the embarrassment as different beings came in and left the room monitoring for him. Now, he's actually really traumatized by this... Yeah, that escalated really quickly. Well, I mean, this is six, seven years old. And I mean, he's been being abducted since he was four. So it, but here's the thing. So at 10 years old, Joel meets a seven foot, eight foot tall, pale skinned, large eyed being that will forever accompany, accompany him on his abductions from here on out. He specifically recalls being on a craft with this being and seeing his hometown from the sky. He refers to this being as the Easter Bunny. That sounds like, like almost every 10-year-old's like dream, right? You're like, yeah. I get to like go see the city from a spaceship. Minus yeah. the sexual abuse. Well, now, him calling it the Easter Bunny actually was allowing him to quantify it as a child. 
he didn't see a red suit. He didn't see any of that. So he just sort of said in his head, oh, this is the Easter bunny that I'm meeting. When Joel hits puberty, he begins to encounter a different race of alien altogether. Three to five foot tall, dark skinned, large eyed aliens. Now, what we know as greys, basically. And they started performing various experiments on him in silence. Joel recalls hearing buzzing and humming noises, but when the aliens communicated with him, they did so telepathically, not a word spoken. Now, these creatures were not friendly. They would kidnap Joel and perform experiments on him. He would fight back as hard as he could, but was easily subdued and taken against his will. The tall white creature was the only one to calm him and provided serenity while other abductors went about their work. Joel recalls the aliens switching up their style and suddenly becoming more interested in his sex. They attach a funnel-like object to his penis and suck out his sperm with what appeared to be a catheter-like object. When asked why the aliens would need his baby gravy, Joel speculates that their races are dying out and that in order for them to survive, they need to create a hybrid that can survive on Earth. Joel has claimed to have met his alien half-breed children and watched them grow up over 12 years or so. Does he have any proof of that? No, of course not. There's no way he could have proof of seeing his... Uh... That'd be so cool, though. Imagine. Well, he's basically, in these situations, he's taken and put on a throne and left in a room with these babies that are supposedly half his, but... Oh, for, like, baby playtime. Yes. Now, Joel is very good at documenting the marks on his body that happen from this, like the scarring, bruising, swelling, and he does this through pictures, and during his interview, he showed the author dozens of pictures, including a picture of the triangular-shaped scar on his penis from trying to pull the cone off at one time. Another time, Joel recalls having to mate with a female of the alien species. It gets weird and involves her mounting while aliens look over his shoulder. Joel has... Also got his record of him going to the doctor and getting this weird crystalline shard removed from his leg. And when they examined that under a microscope, it was an undetermined crystal structure, similar to glass, but very hard. And Joe has told tons of people about his encounters. Most people chuckle and say they want his children and he better watch out. Or they might kidnap his earthly joblins. But Joe is adamant this, that this will never happen. And the author goes out of his way to ask him how he knows that and he says well i'm a homosexual so they have i'm not going to have children but it's not because the abductions that i'm gay but i have not also had sexual contact with another human in over 11 years so he's just having sex with aliens and loving it no he's not loving it that's the oh. whole thing is he's being basically raped by aliens so it's causing him psychological trauma and that's the reason he hasn't had sex in over 11 years is because of the abductions are they still abducting him yeah to this day. It, yeah every year on his every year on his birthday he's basically or not on his birthday on like march 13th or something he's basically abducted and made to have sex with aliens is it strange that he remembers everything no not really because isn't he also has had hypnotherapy so he's talking to the same author that said that forgetting the vast majority of your abduction no, is No, different like, authors. Okay, different authors. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's normal that he recalls everything? Well, he's also gone through hypnotherapy, and a lot of this has come out during his regressive hypnotherapy. But when he was asked about how his parents feel about the abduction stories, he says they're supportive, but they have their own theories on what happened. And he doesn't further explain what he means by that. We can assume that maybe something in his childhood did something to him, made him a little, you know, weird. But 
I want to know what you guys think. Can these stories actually be believed? Do you think there seems to be a bit of underlying trauma that may have led to these experiences? And do you have any experiences in high strangeness yourself? Real quick on the Joel thing. I have a question. Was there anything special about him that would cause the aliens to want to breed with him? Like, was he a genius? Would he have a great no. IQ? No, he's just a normal guy. The best pig farmer in the city. Just a normal guy. I mean, it doesn't. They don't go through and pick and choose like that. It's just whoever no, I think is would. most susceptible. I think they might because think about it. They have to like if they want to live on Earth. They're not. They're aliens, man. They're not going to be interested in being janitors. That that would be like Goodwill Hunting. They're interested in being the tizzy top, the doctors and shit. So they're going to try to abduct someone who's smart and who own someone who has taken over the world, maybe. How are they going to tell that with a four-year-old? No, you're not going to abduct a four-year-old every That's time. That's what they did. 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 How they get his baby gravy at four years old? They didn't. They waited. Did you not listen to the story I did, at all? But I'm saying they waited at the end they were getting baby puberty. gravy. Yeah, yeah, yeah after he went through puberty. Oh, because they stalked him for twenty years. They, well, they abducted him. They abducted for him like at ten four, years, and then at twelve or whatever, when he started going through puberty, they started. Doing all these terrible sexual things to him. Well, maybe his dad was a really smart person. Because you've got to have something that you're looking at. All right, so can we actually believe these stories? Do you think there is going to be a bit of underlying trauma that may have led to these experiences? Uh, do you have any instances of high strangeness? I think in his case, there is something that these experiences are covering up that actually happened to him sexually. I think he was abused, probably, and this is his way of coping with that. I don't want to like accuse him of anything, but... You're saying it may be like a triggered coping mechanism, just basically, something that he's... Like how when you have dissociative identity disorder, it's basically to cover trauma, so you revert back to basically like a safe space and your brain takes over and takes you out of that situation. I think this was probably something similar. Okay. I Makes don't sense. believe him that he was abducted by aliens. Because this just seems strange that he remembers every instance of being abducted and seeing his alien babies. And this just seems like a lot more than we normally get from people that have been abducted. Regressive hypnotherapy. I I believe it allows people to take their imaginations for a walk rather than confront an actual underlying cause for an issue. Do we know when he started hypnotherapy? Uh, I actually do not. Okay. Sorry. Oh, it's fine. I was just wondering, because if he was four when this started... Now, what about high strangeness, Katie? Have you ever encountered anything of the mythological or... If my mom doesn't listen to this, there was one time that... I think I was robo-tripping, and I was driving, and I literally saw a person walk in front of my car, and I slammed on the brakes, and there was nobody there, obviously, or I would have hit them. And did you blame this on the drugs, or did you think you actually saw something? No, this was definitely drugs. So I wouldn't say that's high strangeness. I'd just say that's a bad trip. But yeah, you're not supposed to hallucinate when you're robo-tripping. You're not supposed to see anything. And it was definitely a full-grown human being. Interesting. So, I don't know. It was strange. I also saw green light one time. I was driving with my coworker, and it basically flashed. And I was like, "Hmm, do you see that? And she was like, yep. Well, I saw that when, do you remember when the SpaceX took off the first time in California or whatever, and you, there was that green light in the sky? Yeah. Yeah, that was, I saw that, and I thought that was kind of crazy. But Jake, what about you? Any high strangeness, ghosts, cryptids, When I was aliens? a kid, me and my brother used to camp out in the backyard, and so we would see all kinds of weird lights 
in the sky. One night, I woke up, and over on the far side of the yard, the Michelin man was just standing there swinging the gate. Just swinging it back and forth, back and forth. Oh, creepy. Making a whole game out of it. And I just covered my head back up in my sleeping bag and tried to go back to sleep. You sure it wasn't just a dream? or No, it, it was real. And it was creepy. That is creepy. Because the, there was no the gate was there, but it wasn't finished. So the section of the side there uh, was just nothing. And so he was standing on the open side, just swinging the gate back and forth. Back. That's probably the creepiest thing I've heard in a long time. I have a really creepy dream that I remember. I guess it was a nightmare, but it was not real. So I don't know if I should talk about it. Well, you can go ahead and talk about it. I think I was like six when I had it, but basically. At my old house, there was a backyard, and there was this big wall with a bunch of poinsettia bushes, and I had a dream that I got locked in the backyard, and I could, like, see my grandma and my mom through the glass door that we had, and I turned around, and Big Bird <laughs> climbed over the <laughs> brick wall and, like, started coming after me, and I was banging on the door, and they wouldn't let me inside. Are you sure this just wasn't, like, your third birthday or something? You know, I don't know. <laughs> What happened? It was nighttime, and it was Big Bird, and... Well, okay, I'll tell mine. I have a couple. <laughs> we just forced it out of you there. Yeah, no, it's real difficult for me to tell. Um, Actually, no, I was driving up to... It was like one of, one of the last nights when we lived on Waverly, and I was driving the truck up from the new house, and I it was dark. It was nighttime. It wasn't that late. I think it was like 8.30, 9 o'clock. And I was coming up Fort Lowell, and there's this, like, defunct, uh, what are those, billboard, like, half-size billboard that's kind of in an empty lot where it says clay pottery for children, but there's a billboard up there anyway. Anyway, uh, I'm driving past that, and there is a purple light above the top of the billboard, and it moves straight up to the left and then out to an angle and got smaller as it went. And I saw that. And that happened, so I couldn't really figure out what the hell it was, but I'm, I, I was sure it was an alien. It, well, I wasn't sure it was an alien, but I was sure of something. I didn't know what the fuck it was, but I definitely saw something weird. And then uh, the other time was a ghost. I don't really know what happened, but it was really strange that this happened. We were at my buddy Stubbs' house, and I think we were probably 14, and we were fucking around, being stupid kids. We had... A, pair of uh what are those things crutches and we were just sort of walking down this hallway we just probably smoked a bunch of weed and we were walking down in the hallway and eating cheetos and doing all sorts of goofy shit and on crutches yeah and uh stubbs is like standing in his kitchen door which was directly in front of the split entry to his house we had the exact same floor plan in our houses and so there's like four or five feet between the entrance to the kitchen and that staircase that led into an open living room. All of a sudden, he was just standing there, both feet on the ground, crutches under his arms, and he fell backwards down the whole stairs and said he felt someone push him. And I just laughed it off and said, yeah, yeah, whatever. And later on, I was coming up the stairs and... I didn't have the crutches or anything. I was just walking up the stairs. I felt the same thing. Something pushed me in the back, and I fell up the last four stairs. Like just fell forward. Face first. Yeah, face first onto him. Caught myself, but sounds I like felt... you guys made fun of a ghost on crutches. Well, he he said that it, his father had died, and his father's name was Pet, and when he was when he was a little kid, so he said that 
pet usually looked out for him, but when he was doing bad shit, he had to worry about that. Now, this kid has had more supernatural occurrences happen to him than any person I've met. So Stubbs' dad pet pushed him down the stairs posthumously to teach him a lesson. I think so, but his full name is Parrish Alexander Brian Sidera Holmesenboth. Beep. I don't know. Can you just put someone's six names out on the podcast? Yeah, Parrish Alexander Brian Sidera Holmesenboth. What's up, Stubbs? <laughs> anyway, I think that's going to do it on this one. I mean, it was just a fun kind of shoot around episode i've had stuff happen in this house really yeah, yeah i wanted to tell my story about the ufos i saw when i was a kid you told your michelin man story i thought that was it no i just told a story i didn't know we were telling all right one more and then we're closing it go so katie could tell her story she already said one more from each of you go yeah she already said her okay. lead into it though. Oh, go. mine's not that exciting i've just had stuff fly off the counters and i felt someone touch me at one point but i just talk shit i'm like you're being rude don't knock shit over, and then now it doesn't happen anymore. So, I wasn't actually going to talk about this house. So, in this house, I buried the glasses that belonged to the dude that died at the house on Waverly. I buried his glasses in what the backyard. What the fuck? Why did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> dude, so, three did days you? in a row. Huh? Look, three days in a row I come home, put my key in the lock, and turn it, and something turned it back the other way. Oh, there's just something. That lock needs to be, like tightened there's just something wrong with the door handle yeah the door's just fucked up it's possessed that's funny it's just hard to open sometimes <sighs> we used to go on walks every night well almost every night with mrs kramer rest in peace mrs kramer uh long walks in the dark and aside from watching for rattlesnakes we would we would watch for ufos and we saw a lot of weird lights in all the years of walking out there and most of the time they ended up like turning and it was like a blimp or something like okay and you guys were just seeing a random blimp yeah many times it was it was blimps but multiple times the lights would be there and they'd be moving and then they'd move faster and be gone yeah so i've seen that i believe shooting it. stars don't speed up like that no and they don't change directions which they was slow down the... right they're burning out. They're slowing down. A shooting star. They pat, Most of the time, they're hundreds of miles away and falling past Earth. Oh, only hundreds? Hundreds of thousands. I don't want to... Billions of miles Yeah, they're away. really far away, and they're passing Earth's trajectory. They're not really We're seeing them after up. they happen, too. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's, eight minutes after they happen. That's why all the straight-edge kids say, burn out, don't fade away. Exactly. All right, so we're going to close this out. Uh, thanks very much for listening this week, guys. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to send us an email at fourcornerscrimecast at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R cornerscrimecast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash fourcornerscrimecast on Instagram at fourcornerscrimecast and on Twitter at fourcornerscrime. And give us a rate review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and check out our website, fourcornerscrimecast.com. That's F-O-U-R, cornerscrimecast.com. Head over there for a full episode list uh, to send us any ideas for an episode or to get a free sticker from our merch store. Just enter the code BINGOBANGO at checkout and we will ship your sticker 100% free. If you guys have any stories of your own about UFOs, high strangeness, high strangeness, alien abduction, any of that stuff, I'd love to hear encounters it. Encounters of the Tenth Kind. Send them our way. We want to hear them this week. We want to read them next week. All right, guys. So we'll see you next week. See ya. Adios, motherfuckers.
I don't need to be shooshed, I need to be stopped.